I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. I got patience, I can't wait. But you've been taking all damn day. I got no more time to waste. You better show. Hearing Gold by Sister Sparrow, featuring my guest today on the program, Arlie Kinchelow. Now, I should tell you that when Arlie is on stage, she goes by the name Sister Sparrow. The band behind her, well, those are the Dirty Birds. So when I say Sister Sparrow and the Dirty Birds, now you know exactly what I'm talking about. You guys can handle that, right? Of course you can. Let me tell you a little bit about Sister Sparrow and the Dirty Birds. But before I do that, dig, if you will, a picture of you as a kid declaring your career goals to your parents. Now, for most of us, as we got older, that goal shifted and morphed. So a pronouncement of, I'm going to be an astronaut, was replaced by, I'm going to be a fireman. And then later, the president, a doctor, a veterinarian, a lawyer, a baseball player, a bassist for a punk band, a content editor of a well-funded tech startup in San Francisco. Some of us dreamed very specifically. The point is, when we're younger, we don't really know what we want to do. So we keep taking a new dream out for a spin, and then we lose interest, and we shed that skin, and then another, and then another, and then another, until before we know it, We've graduated from college with an English degree, and we're like, how'd that happen, and now what? Okay, so that's a familiar story. In my case, way too familiar. But then there's another story, the story of a kid who knows exactly what they want to do when they grow up, and then they grow up, and they're doing it. Well, that's the story of Arlie Kinchelow, who had a vision of her future at a very young age and moved unwaveringly towards it. Now, just to give you some background, Kinchelow grew up in the famed Catskill Mountains in southeastern New York. And hearing that, you're probably thinking that the legacy of great musicians, comedians, and writers who passed through the Catskills and made names for themselves there surely must have inspired her to pursue the creative life. Well, you wouldn't be wrong. But also nudging her in that direction was the fact that her parents were musicians and had a big band that Kinchelow and her brother Jackson often played in when they were just kids. Now, when your parents have a band, that could go one of two ways. A, you become a musician because it's in your blood, and you accept that it's part of your legacy and destiny because you've always done it, and it's the most natural thing in the world for you to do. Or B, you become an accountant. Spoiler alert. 
Kinshlow and her brother are not accountants. Now, fittingly enough, Sister Sparrow is the nickname that Kinshlow's older sister gave her. And Kinshlow decided to perform under that moniker when she and her brother formed the band Sister Sparrow and the Dirty Birds back in 2008. Sister Sparrow and the Dirty Birds did things the old-fashioned way. Kill it at home, then conquer the world. After a year in the trenches playing every club all over New York, the band found themselves being known as one of the best live acts around. They ended up securing a weekly residency at the Rockwood Music Hall. That residency ran for five months. Not bad for a band who at that point hadn't even put out a record. In 2010, that first record finally arrived. A self-titled affair, it was pretty much recorded live at New York's Avatar Studios over the course of one night. Not only was that album jazzy, breezy, and soulful, it captured the urgency of the band in a live setting. That album set the pace. Over the next eight years, Sister Sparrow and the Dirty Birds kept up not only a breakneck touring schedule, they kept turning out great album after great album. Pound of Dirt came out in 2012, The Weather Below hit in 2015, and there's a 2016 live album, which is just a straight-up scorcher. It's called Foul Play, and Foul is spelled with a W. After all, it is Sister Sparrow, and it is the Dirty Birds, so why abandon the avian theme now? And speaking of now, now is where we are, and where we are is gold. Gold is the name of Sister Sparrow's new album, and it's an album that's positively glowing with beauty and truth. A riveting blast of soulful ballads, horny blues, and funky swagger. Listening to gold is like listening to indie rock gospel. The album is awesome. The title track is an upbeat workout. Ghost is soaked in spectral Motown. And Let's Go is a delicious blend of fuzz and snarl. Putting it as simply as I can, the album is soulfully exquisite and utterly life-affirming. And speaking of life, Kinchlow just brought a new one into the world. She's a mom now. And in this conversation, not only do we talk about motherhood, in the middle of it, she leaves to go change a diaper. I've interviewed thousands of bands, and that's never happened before. And she changes that diaper really fast, like super fast, like, well, in her words, gunfighter fast. So she's a quick draw mom, and she's also really nice and incredibly sweet. So here's my conversation with Sister Sparrow, Arlie Kinchelo. Enjoy it right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. You good? Yeah, yeah. I'm a little sick, so I'm sorry if I sound kind of weird. But. No, no. I, I would think that for a singer to get sick is like the worst thing. Yeah, it's pretty rough. <laughs> um, it can really... Uh, take down a show, you know. Um, luckily, we don't have to play for about a week, so. Wow, you have time to get better. I It's funny because I, I teach college and I do this radio show, and if my voice goes, I'm finished. I can't do my jobs. Yeah, it's crazy how, you know, how much we just take it for granted to just be there, even just to speak. But then if you're in trouble, you know, kind of wipes you out for a few days. <laughs> I know, I know. Are you uh, Are you germophobic at all? Not at all. (laughs) 
So that's probably why I got sick. Cause, like, <laughs> yep. I also have a toddler, so you know he's he's running around daycare, and I'm sure that's where it came from. But well, it's funny because I talk for my jobs, and so I get kind of germaphobic because I'm like, if I get sick, then I can't do anything. And then I, at any rate, I would I would think I, I always wondered if a uh, if a singer was very protective of their of their health because of their job. Yeah, I mean, I, I am protective of my health, but I don't, I wouldn't go so far as to say I think about germs a lot, but I definitely like take a lot of supplements. And, and if I start to feel sick, I have like a whole course of action that sometimes I can't catch it in time. But um, especially on the road, you know, I'm like constantly taking echinacea and I take slippery elm for my voice to stay. That's actually something you should look into if you don't know about it. It's really helpful. Um, it's like a, a bark root thing that helps. It's called slippery elm. You can get like a tincture or lozenges, but it saves my saves my voice sometimes for sure. Okay, so we've established that I'm the neurotic one here with the. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I am. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, you, I know you're busy today. I appreciate you doing this. Are you one of those people that operates well the busier you are? Um, I don't know if I would say that. I definitely think. There's something to be said about um, when we're on the road, there's a certain pace that we keep and it's nice, but I, I am, I definitely need my rest. Um, I, I think especially because of the, you know, close connection that my body has to my work, as you can understand, um, if I'm a little run down, it just really kind of can derail the whole thing. So I definitely need a certain amount of days off and I need, I can't sing too many days in a row. So I, I'm I'm not one of these like uh, I'll sing you know every day for 14 days straight kind of people which there are people like that and I I wish I could be like that but um, I have a kind of a sensitive uh, vocal cord I guess situation so <laughs> um, so it can it, I've I've definitely had to cancel shows because uh, I was a little overworked and depending on the climate in which we are traveling uh, that can be real make or break for me sometimes. Are those things that you consider now that maybe you didn't 10 years ago? Like, when we, let's schedule our tour. Let's schedule it in a really – in a totally different way than we used to when, when we were younger. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we, we used to just say yes to every single gig that was offered because when you're first starting out, you have to do that. You know, you can't – you really can't – beggars can't be choosers, as we say. But, um, but then I think a couple of times that I, you know, learned, learned the hard way that – I can't push myself that hard and everybody, anybody else in the band can get really sick and it could be like not great, but it could be okay. But if I, you know, if I can't sing, I can't sing. So I had, I had to kind of put down my foot a little bit and say, here are some guidelines, you know, I can't do this and I need some time off and I can blah, blah, blah. So it always makes, it's always the hardest right around um, a record release because inevitably again, you really don't want to say no to anything. You want to be doing as much as you can to promote your new product and, and this and that. But, uh, so I, I find myself getting sick around those times. Um, and like hence right now, you know, yeah. <laughs> like a week after the album came out. So <laughs> yeah, I guess we're, we're kind of right in the, in the storm of that moment that you're talking about. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what happens to your voice? Do you feel that you, you can't hit the notes or do you feel that you, it just gets scratchy? Like, what is it that actually happens? Um, a little of both. I, I'll definitely get very husky sounding 
and uh, and I, I'll lose my upper register, um, like at least the at least the clarity. And I uh, I sometimes can hit the notes, but it's I have to push a lot harder, and then that's when I'll kind of hurt myself, kind of trying to overdo it and um, overexerting, which is really something a vocalist should not do <laughs> ever. Uh, so I also learned that the hard way multiple times before I started to see the warning signs and kind of could ease up and, and stop singing so hard. Um, but that took years for me to learn that lesson because I just, it's so much more fun to go all out and, you know, kind of leave it all on the table and, and no matter what, but sometimes you kind of have to pick your battles. And if you know, you have four more shows in a row, you really shouldn't <laughs> like, leave everything in Kansas city. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. That's a good motto. I think for, for life in general, Yeah, don't, don't leave, true. don't leave everything in Kansas city. <laughs> yeah. Maybe don't leave anything. Oh <laughs> uh, no. Sorry. <laughs> I think that my, uh, when I sign off on my emails now, I'm going to have it say that. That's perfect. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm very happy to be included in that. <laughs> I want that to be the name of your memoir. When you put it out, don't leave yeah. everything in Kansas city. <laughs> I'm going to write it down now so that, you know, in a few years. <laughs> what is your uh, relationship with your with your voice now as opposed to when you began? Um, do you find that you are prote- – obviously you're protective of it in a, in a way that you start thinking like I want to sing, you know, professionally till I'm, you know – whatever age, but do you think about that? Do you, are you more protective of it than you were aside from just saying uh, no to certain things um, when you practice, when you're doing stuff live, what's your relationship now to, to your voice? Yeah, I think it's um, with age and experience, I've learned how to kind of, how to get the results I want without hurting myself. And I didn't, you know, I haven't really taken any vocal lessons that, I mean, I've taken maybe four in my life. So I've learned a little bit from those, but mostly I've learned just from doing it over and over again and, and trial and error and finding out what really doesn't work. I've learned that for me personally, sleep is one of the main factors with how well I can perform and, um, and stress can be uh, one of the worst things, but yeah, I think, you know, I'm learning, I'm learning more and more about what I can and, and what I can do if I have those things, if I'm not stressed out, if I have sleep, then all of a sudden I keep surprising myself with the things that I can do, kind of breaking barriers that I previously thought I had. So it's been, it's been an exciting sort of time in my life where I took all this time off of the road because I was pregnant and then I had a baby. And in that time, I had so much sleep and you know besides well when the baby came not so much but beforehand <laughs> and all of a sudden I was I could sing you know circles around myself and I was like cool this is a new thing that I'm learning if I take it easy and I take care of my body in a way that I wasn't doing when I was 22 um you know I can really I can accomplish something that I didn't think was possible for me but I mean not to say that you know, it probably wouldn't be noticeable to anybody else, but for me, I can notice the differences. And, you know, when I'm singing the same song I've been singing for 10 years and all of a sudden I can hit a higher note than I used to be able to. You know what I mean? It's like, it's very subtle. <laughs> it's not like I'm all of a sudden Mariah Carey, but um, 
but I, it's been a fun uh, sort of proud moment to say like, okay, cool. Like, it sounds so obvious, right? Take care of yourself and your body will perform better. But when you're a musician, you're not always encouraged to do that. You know, like you work in bars and you work, uh, you know, very closely with um, alcohol sometimes. Right. And I learned, you know, I learned I, that that's another thing that I, uh, a rule I made kind of early on that I can't, I don't drink before I sing anymore, which because the first couple of years of this band, I uh, we all used to drink a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that was fun. But I was again, I was like t- early twenties, twenty one, twenty two, and that's what you do when you're that age. So, I'm not too hard on myself about it. But well, you were saying that you you've learned to say no. Uh, which is, by the way, perfectly timed uh, for motherhood, right? It's like it's good to it's <laughs> good to say no, but um, it, don't you find that liberating? Because it took me a long time to get there, and now that I am comfortable saying no to people, I'm so much happier. Absolutely, I think that was a, the biggest lesson I learned from from having a kid. Was all of a sudden I just didn't have time to be a yes man anymore like I got this other tiny human that I'm I'm really have to prioritize so I can't just say yes to everything that you asked me to do anymore (laughs) like I got a lot of other shit to do (laughs) including like (laughs) feed this child so yeah that's an amazing lesson to learn and anybody can do it you do not have to have a child sorry I have to feed my dog really quick that's the clanking no no problem Uh, but yeah that, that was a it's been a really incredible ride in terms of becoming a parent, realizing, you know, we, I don't know. It's just it's so life changing, and and all the things that you could have been doing, like taking care of yourself, and you know, standing up for yourself, and having a little bit more courage surrounding kind of basic things in life. Um, they're all we can all do that all the time, even without becoming a parent, but. Uh, having a little one kind of forces you to see things differently and do that a little bit more, at least for me, my, that was my experience. So, I mean, I guess the irony is, is that saying yes, got you right to a certain point in your career. Um, right. Right. With those opportunities. And then, totally. right. And then you, and now you have to sort of say like, but now that I'm there, I can't keep saying yes. Yeah. Because at a certain point, I mean, after 10 years, there's certain things that you can't, you just don't have energy for it anymore. <laughs> like, um, mainly just the, the tour, like the way that we used to tour. That's the main thing that has changed. And it's not even changed that much. It's really like maybe one less show a week. So, you know, I mean, also the way that we travel is vastly different. And we used to all sleep in like two hotel rooms and that was like nine people. So you do the math there. It was really crazy. But um, <laughs> a little bit has changed on that. We take a little bit better care of each other ourselves on the road but uh yeah but you're absolutely right you have to you have to make those sacrifices when you're young and able to do it and you have the energy and and when the time calls for it when you really need to step up and say i will literally do anything to make this you know get off the ground um and that's you know it's pretty it's crazy that we how long we've been doing it and then we're going to continue to work our asses off and try to you know i mean i still feel like every extra moment that I have in life aside from being a mother I try to devote to this and and you know give it my all continuously because I think that's the only way we'll continue to be able to do it but you got to step back a little right (laughs) yeah 
How how has being a mother changed the creative process for you? Well, I think in all those ways that I said before, just it kind of gives you a new lease on reality and yourself and what, you know, a little bit more courage and a little bit more self-confidence. Um, so I think that really translated into this last record that I made. I, I definitely felt like all of a sudden I could call the shot a little bit um, more or completely, uh, which <laughs> I totally could have been doing that before, but I didn't really believe in myself enough to do it. And, um, and I think for some reason watching myself have a, have a child, like give birth to a child. I was like, Oh man, I can totally do anything. What are you, are you crazy? That wasn't <laughs> So, um, so that was, you know, but also the creative process while I was pregnant, I think, um, was beautiful. I wrote some of the songs just, uh, well, definitely inspired by being pregnant and, um, and just having that clear head because of, I mean, not only being completely sober, which is great, and being well-rested and not very stress-free. I wasn't, you know, after the fourth month, I wasn't uh, really working. So I had all this extra time to think about how to be creative and what kind of songs I wanted to write and stuff. So it was really, it was like freedom um, to do that, which is a beautiful thing. And I think it's a necessary thing for me. I didn't, I never really write that well when we're, when we're, playing all the time because I don't feel like I have the space in my brain for it, you know? I know, I know that some people, um, they're, they're kind of road warriors and they, and they do their best work on the road, but that seems like a real compressed kind of, uh, way of doing things. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I think it works for some people in that some people will, I mean, historically speaking, like the band, even like Levon Helm and the band, they used to rehearse after their gigs and write songs together after they played like a four hour set. Um, and, you know, it's crazy to me. Like I, I, I can barely walk sometimes. I'm so tired. <laughs> um, but, you know, also cooking is a hell of a drug. So that was probably part of it for them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, okay. I was going to say. Um, you know, it was a different era for sure. But um, that's something some people you know, can be sort of fired up by that. And I mean, performing doesn't get energy, but for me, it's not sustainable energy. It's about 15 minutes of like, okay, let's go talk to people. And like, woohoo, maybe have a beer. Oh my God. And then, oh my God, I'm so, so tired. Get me to my bed right now. <laughs> it's very short lived. Well, when you chose, when you chose this life, you, you chose the artistic life, which I'm sure was totally different than most people that you knew that were your age. Did you know what it was you were getting into? Did you did you think that through? Um, a little bit. My my dad and my mom, like they, um, my dad still plays drums in the band that he's in, but my mom used to sing, um, and that's how they met each other, was playing around San Francisco. So my dad did a very small amount of touring when he was in his 20s. And so he had these great stories of the old glory days. And so we had a little picture of it. You know, he didn't paint it very glamorously. He definitely said, like, yeah, you know, sometimes it was this and that and terrible. And, but they didn't do it. Um, they didn't do it full time, really. But they went on a few tours, you know, so they had a little taste of it. So we had a little taste of it. We, and Jackson, my brother and I, when we started this, we just really wanted to freaking like travel and play music every day. That's all we wanted to do. And I think that that 
that desire to do that kind of got us through those first couple of years because that's all you're doing. You're traveling your ass off and playing music, you know, and you're, you know, eating crappy food. And um, if that's all you want to do, great. At that moment, then that's perfect. You know, Um, we didn't right away. We didn't have big delusions of grandeur and think we were going to be playing to great big audiences or, or anything like that in the first couple of years. We just wanted to play and we wanted to see the country. And um, so it really suited us. Uh, but then, you know, after like five years of doing that, I think I was like, oh, yeah, right. Well, what was it like when I had a life and, and a place to live <laughs> <laughs> and, a, and a car of my own? Like, I forgot about all that stuff that used to be normal. Um, so it, you kind of, I don't know, I think we were in a bit of a had tunnel vision with it for a long time. But that's, I think, how we were able to keep doing it. But you were willing to put the miles in, and that's that's a huge component of of a band's evolution. Definitely, yeah. I mean, I think those first few years of touring really set the foundation for the rest of it. If we hadn't been able or willing to do that, we would still be playing the same places in New York City, or or not, because they'd be so bored of us <laughs> they wouldn't let us play there anymore. Um, you know, you, we had to have the willingness. Um, I'm so sorry. Can, can you hold on for like two minutes? I just have to go check on my son. He's of course, kind of, of course. Crying. Yes. Okay. I'll be right back. Thank no you problem. so much. No problem. Okay. So this is the point in the interview where our lead changes her son's diaper. So I thought it was a good time to play a song from gold. When we come back, the diaper will have been changed and the conversation will continue. This is can't get you off my mind from gold by sister Sparrow. Enjoy it right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast.
Did you did um, you just change a diaper in thirty seven seconds? Yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> I I was like, it's like the the quick and the dead. No, wait, that's not right. That's the yeah, some <laughs> gunslinger movie. Just imagine I got that reference right. You did. That's look. That's a fast draw. Um, were you? Were there ever moments for you with the band where you kind of like hit a low point where you were like, I don't know if I want to keep doing this. I mean, we're you're on a you know, a hotel room in somewhere weird, and you went, ugh. Yeah, I mean, there were sometimes. I I think that my I think my tunnel vision, as I said before, it was pretty severe for such a long time because I was very blinded by ambition. I think. I think that was good in a lot of ways um I'm like I'm grateful for that because of seeing how crappy our situation was because I was kind of like this is just how it's supposed to be this is how it's going to be and that's I didn't have any higher expectations and I think that's what got me through it um especially being the only female that was there were moments that I was like oh yeah I forgot about women like I missed them so much. <laughs> this is really hard um but but yeah i think the the one breaking point that i had was a couple years ago and i i was in a lot of pain all the time i have a bad back and a couple herniated discs and um traveling obviously not sleeping in my own bed and being in a van all day that exacerbates the the pain for sure and also performing (laughs) Uh, so I, I hit a wall and I said, I took the guys aside and I said, you know, I really want to take some time off for the first time in eight years and I want to maybe work on a solo project and I want to write a bunch of music and I need to rest and try to get my back fixed. And, and they were all really supportive and it was, it was great. So we planned to do that. <clears throat> and then, uh, then we, you know, we put a couple of book uh, things on the book. So we were trying to maintain a nice block of time for me um but that block of time started getting smaller and smaller and then all of a sudden I found out I was pregnant and so I uh went back to the guys and I you know basically just said well remember how I said I want to take a year off like we're gonna go back to that now because we kind of have to now (laughs) (laughs) Um, so they were they were very very supportive uh, we did have to cancel some shows, but um, but it was kind of perfect timing because I was reaching my breaking point anyway. If things were going to continue the way that they had been um, going, so I was like, it was kind of a strange. It was a happy happy accident for sure. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but it worked out timing wise, and and then you know, I mean, it was a little, it was a rough year. For you know, all of us to be out of work for that, but but um, the me being able to work on this record was um, I feel like was a very important thing that probably wouldn't have happened if I hadn't had that block of time and that you know availability and also being stationary uh, for the six months that it took me to make the record was like you know invaluable. So. Well, I like that you didn't come to them and say, I want to take time off and pursue my passion for accounting. I mean, it seems like you, right? It was always the, the artistic life has always been the choice. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Um, we did have our, our trombone player who, well, he's formerly our trombone player, but he's still in my heart, will always be. Um, his name is Ryan Snow, and he actually quit the band a few years ago. 
to go back to school to become a lawyer and sort of, but also to like make social change. And he's a beautiful human being and he's one of the smartest people I know, but he, we were like, really, you're going to quit the band and become a lawyer? <laughs> Very surprising. <laughs> But he's going to change the world. He's he's awesome. So we're very proud of him. Well, you do, you know, in the old days, you would hear about punk bands that would travel on the roads and then suddenly, you know, they they would call it a day and then their bass player would be a professor at USC. And you're like, how'd that happen? Right. But they, they would just, <laughs> like, you know, they would study on the road or they would, they always had a sort of a, you know, another plan. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean... I've never had a, a backup plan. <laughs> I think that that's another thing about the being being blinded by ambition thing. It's like, no, no, it's going to be fine. You just work hard enough and you can make it happen. Don't worry about your backup plan. You know, that's ridiculous. Why would you need that? And that's crazy, right? That's an insane way to think. Um, but I also think it's kind of a beautiful way to give your whole self to, to a thing. It's also... Um, it's scary <laughs> realizing that I've been doing it for this long. It's also kind of scary looking back on that. But, but now I have this, you know, I have a, a tiny baby and that makes it me feel like there's a whole other side of my life that is um, very full and beautiful as well. That I, that, you know, now I'll never be like lost in the wilderness, you know, right. <laughs> something, something didn't happen with music. I, I have, you have a very full life now, and that's, I'm very grateful for that. So. It is scary, though, not to have a backup plan. But sometimes when you're when you're so young, you don't even realize how how scary that really is. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Uh, I I don't think my brother and I even thought about it for like two seconds. You know, we were just and and I think people have started to ask, like when we were taking that time off, and somebody had asked him, like, "Well, what do you?" what are you going to do now? Like what, you know, you're going to quit music and like get a real job, you know? And he was, well, like, like slightly offended, but yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, no, there's, you know, I'm going to continue on my music. It is very much a real job. <laughs> People don't realize. Right. That. Yeah. Know? It's a very, very difficult one. Yeah. Incredibly. Um, it, for you, if your son said to you, Hey, I want to be in a band. Uh, and that conversation could happen. Um, not tomorrow, obviously. He, he's <laughs> That's not going to happen. But, I mean, if that were – I mean, have you thought about how you would respond to that? Or, I mean, would you, would you be thrilled or would you, would you say, you know, there's a career in accounting? <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe a little bit of both. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I would just – I would I, – I want him to be musical and I'm sure that he will be. Um, even if he doesn't pursue that as a full-on career, I think it's it would be great for him to be in a band, um, whether he wanted to do that forever or not. But I think that that's what most normal people do is just you know if they been playing a band for a while and then they you know get serious and go back to school or whatever. Um, but I think that's a cool experience. Like my, my dad has been um, playing since he was a, in high school, and he but he is also a history teacher and he has he used to teach college and he coaches golf and you know, like he has all this other stuff but he still plays music like almost every weekend um so i think that's a, a nice way to do it also but yeah i will never um pull any punches with him i'll definitely give him the straight story about what it's like and how hard it is and, 
and how rare it is to actually get as successful as you want to be. <laughs> so I think that's important to be honest as well with it. You know, it's it's funny because I'm a writer and I I would look at my heroes and many of them died horribly and um, oh, and yeah. tragically and young. And I wonder for you, you know, looking at in, in music, like I think of Amy Winehouse, who I just adored, but that's such a tragic story. And I, I wonder, do you look at the people who inspired you and did you ever look at how their lives turned out? And I'm kind of curious, you know, like, you know, did you try to sort of did you see anyone that you that you thought set an example in a way of, oh, that's how to do it right for longevity? Mm, yeah. Um, well, I think the problem with with being creative is oftentimes that you do have those sort of addictive personalities that like the um, <clears throat> like the, something about trauma and creativity that <laughs> somehow go hand in hand, unfortunately. And, and um, you know, I, I definitely keep my drinking in check. I think that's one thing that I could, I could see myself if I, you know, if I didn't have such a good support system or, <clears throat> I don't know, if like worst things that happened to me in my childhood, I could see, I can really see how, how easy it is to just go down that path um, and kind of lose yourself and lose, and then lose what you set out to do completely. Um, and, you know, we, we, we've gotten lucky that we have all supported each other and been honest with each other um, when times are getting, you know, a little close to the edge or <laughs> whatever it was. I think, I, I don't know. I feel like, personally having the the people around you that kind of keep you in check has been the most important thing but yeah so the person that I would say um that I know of uh her story a little bit is that Bonnie Raitt like I know she's been sober for many many decades and um and I I look up to that and I'm not sober I'd still you know I still like to have my glass of wine here and there but um, but I think that if you know yourself and you know that you are heading down a dark path and you can catch it wherever you are on that path, if you catch it and set it right and, and get back to the music and what makes you who you are. And because alcohol does not make you who you are, it makes you an animal. <laughs> so um, I don't, you know, not everybody, I guess, but, uh, but I think that that's, that's an important thing. I, I always thought that was really cool. I mean, a lot of, a lot of people that stuck it out and are still alive, have gone through recovery in, in one um, in one way or another. You know, I think Etta James was, you know, went to Betty Ford at least once. She's one of the greats, you know. Um, I don't really know about Aretha's struggles with addiction, although I probably should, but, like, she's, I mean, she's such an incredible force that I feel like nothing was going to stop her. <laughs> but those are, like, those are the women that I've looked to, and, yeah, I think that it's important to kind of keep yourself be self-aware enough to know, you know, when you need to step back or whatever. But creative people are vulnerable people. And I think that, you know, you're creative and you do your art and then you have to perform it. And so I can totally understand why, you know, a drink or two before you get on stage or after uh, might be exactly what you would need or whatever your drug of choice would be. I totally understand that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's somehow, um, it's a really good pairing. I mean, yeah. it's just, it, it really, unfortunately, it's, it's a hard thing for a lot of us. And I think, um, <clears throat> I, I don't know. I wonder, I wonder why that is. And I think, I think there's really something about, um, 
and what you said, vulnerability and creativity. And there's a little bit of, you know, maybe a little bit of sadness or trauma in, in people's lives that make them, you know, a little bit closer to being able to unlock that and make some turn it into something beautiful for other people. Um, I don't know. I don't, I wish I knew the secrets of that because it's, you know, it's such a, it's such a problem for so many people. And I think all we can do is, is keep ourselves in check and also each other, like those around you. And art is a very raw thing. (laughs) I think, I think that it's hard for us to feel what we feel when we're doing it. And, and it's hard for us to feel how we felt doing it later on, you know, like after the show, it's like, Oh, I just want to forget that I was, I was ever that, you know, exposed and, you know, just completely out there for people to reach out and, and, and hurt if they wanted, you know, it's kind of, it's a scary line that we tow um, in that you don't know. If, sometimes I feel like you go out there and you have, you have to like put your breadcrumbs to make sure you can get back so that you're not like just feeling crazy all the time, you know? I know performers who they'll do a show and then they need to be alone for a little bit just to sort of decompress. Are you like that? Do you need your time afterwards? Um, I mean, if it were up to me, I probably would take 10 minutes, <laughs> but it, it's not always. Sometimes you got to just, uh, just, you know, get back on that horse and, and go out there and, and, uh, and talk to people. And I do, I do love doing that as well. And that can sometimes be really therapeutic as, and you go out and you maybe you'll meet somebody who this happens to me all the time. I feel like I go out and talk to people in the crowd afterwards and, and inevitably I meet somebody who's going to say something that just like makes me feel like it takes a little bit of that, like um, takes a little bit of chip out off of that icy rock or whatever. <laughs> it's not icy rock, but it feels like it, it fills the void a little bit and like alcohol fills the void very easily. But if you're not drinking after the show, which I've experienced a lot of that as well, Sometimes you need a little something to just like a little pick me up. And so sometimes just talking to people that were that were there can just really kind of set you set your mind a little bit at ease or it's you know, it's always nice to get a little feedback and it's not always positive. <laughs> so sometimes <laughs> people really want to be very honest, um, sometimes at the merch table and you're like, Oh that one, that one kind of stung a little bit, man. <laughs> um, it's funny how people think that they uh, when you're when you are vulnerable with somebody, and they think that oh okay, so I have access to this person, I can tell that I can say whatever I want to because they've already let me in. So I'm gonna go up there and I'm gonna tell her that I think her haircut is horrible. <laughs> um, you know, it's like I don't know why you thought you had the, you know, the right to do that, but I guess I created that space for you. I guess somehow in what I did while I was performing, you know, led you to believe that we were like. But, you know, buddy, <laughs> like, I guess we are. I don't know. It's just weird. So someone will st- take the time to stick around after the show just to tell you they weren't feeling it or they don't love the haircut or. They, <laughs> they like yeah, sometimes. I mean, you know, it's not that often. Most of the time people are just very sweet and, and lovely, but you get the occasional uh, terrible person also. I'm, I mean, you know, there are bad apples in any crowd. I'm going to just say that the percentage game you know so um yeah sometimes you sometimes you have somebody who gets a little handsy and like that's really not cool Uh and you know that's that's kind of derailed your whole night but um it's just it's nice to know you have uh people in your corner to kind of um 
protect you from that, but it it, it does happen um, more often than I'd like to say, unfortunately. But yeah, but that's another reason why, like taking a few minutes to yourself and just kind of meditating on what happened, like makes you a little stronger and more prepared to go back out there and and deal with whomever may want to come tell you whatever they're gonna decide to do that night. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's like you walk up to something, they go, I want to give you some feedback. And you're like, oh, God. Here we go. <laughs> here we go. Here, here, here it comes. Um, what is it like for you with these songs that are, you know, written under the influence of pregnancy and motherhood? They're very intimate. And to be performing them, you know, for the general public, does that feel like your most personal turn yet? Um. Yeah, well... Let me think about this. I think uh, I think that younger, I may have been writing even more more personal songs. Like, but the the songs I wrote that were sort of inspired by my by being pregnant, having a baby, were it was really just like seedlings of ideas, and I would kind of take it in different directions. So I don't know if you heard the new album, but there's a song called "You're My Party." Oh yeah, and it was really just like when I when I was pregnant, I was like, "Well, I'm not, I can't, I'm not going out to party anymore." So like, I guess you're my party, little baby. <laughs> and then I started thinking about the chorus to that, and um, it obviously came in. It's more of a sort of flirty song than it is a song about my child, for sure. So I wouldn't say it's like a direct correlation to my um, motherhood stuff. But but when I was younger, I think I wrote more. Um, a little bit more like raw love stuff that was very honest about what was actually happening in my life and I think now I have a little bit of a buffer because it's maybe after doing it for so long it becomes a little hard to go up there and sing those songs that are really about what you're going through right now maybe that's because maybe I'm being a wimp and, and maybe I should like you know grow up hair and get out there and like be a real artist and <laughs> say all the truthful things all the time but I think I'm protecting myself a little bit. Yeah, you got to keep some of it for yourself. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. So you, you like, there's a real narrative. You sense the narrative shift in your work. Yeah, you know, I mean, I don't know if I did what was happening, but um, it's funny. I, you know, sometimes in an interview, you can realize things that you uh, had not previously. So I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about my old name other records and sort of how tumultuous life was back then. And yeah, I think that um, this, this new album, it was a little bit coming from more of a secure place, a little bit more of a um, stable place. Um, and I, I also wrote with a lot of other writers. So it's, it's definitely, it's got a, a lot more than just my raw narrative. Um, and I, I like it in that way because it's, it's a little bit, it's a little different. It's a little, you know, it's fun and it, it's not just me, um, <laughs> in my, you know, basement, like crying and writing a song. Like, that's fine too, but it's also, it's a lot more fun for me to kind of get into it. I work with other people and, you know, things that I would never have thought of, um, melodies and stuff like that, that just were not in my wheelhouse. And it's really fun to play around with that stuff. Do you like that collaborative process? Yeah, it's it's sort of new for me. I mean, I've I've done you know a couple dozen writing sessions before, but um, but still, it's sometimes it's it's hit or miss. It can it can go one of two ways. 
Uh, or it can go the third way where like you get like a fine song, but you don't end up using it. But then the, the ones that are super inspiring and so fun, that's a really, really great thing to be a part of. And it's, um, it's, it's a new thing. You know, I used to write all the music by myself all the time. And, um, and I, I, I think it was a, because I was insecure and didn't think that I would be able to, you know, stand up to another writer in a room. Um, and B, I think it was because I just didn't have the connections and didn't know anybody that really I would feel like comfortable writing with. But it's a really scary thing to do. I mean, I don't know if you've ever done any collaborative writing in your time, but it's like it's it's so scary <laughs> um, to be that honest and, and try to give your all because you kind of feel like your ideas are probably like I always feel like my ideas are shit at the time of saying them out loud. But then sometimes it's like, oh, shit, that was my idea. I really like that now, you know? Right. Well, I mean, I think the scary thing about writing with somebody else, the two scariest things are, one, giving a note, and two, getting a note. Right. Yes. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, and when it's, you know, when you're writing a song, it's all happening, like, in real time, you know? Like, you, um, there are lots of times where, you know, somebody would say something and it, like even if one of the three or four people in the room didn't like it, like it wouldn't really go. Cause it's like, this is a, we're all in this together. Like we kind of all have to agree. And that's a, it's actually kind of a hard task to get four people to agree on a creative thing. Um, but it happened. We did it. So. <laughs> can you, can you take a note? Are you pretty good at taking criticism? I'd like to think so. I think in that, in that scenario, yes, because I am, still very insecure um especially about that about writing and I still feel like I'm the most inexperienced person in the room even if I'm not um because I just assume that everybody's that's in there it's like you know brilliant and super accomplished even if I I'm not really the kind of person who like googles everybody thoroughly before I meet them or anything so I just like to just get into it and, and then see how the session goes and then we can take it from there but but yeah, I don't mind taking, I don't mind hearing criticism and, and I mean, we did a lot of that in the band where we were, I would bring the songs to the guys and then we would arrange them all together and we would, uh, we'd all have a pretty equal say back in those days about how the arrangements went. And so, you know, I definitely, my, my skin was thickened in that way because I was able to hear all seven other people's opinions about my work, um, you know, even though I'm sure they tiptoed a little bit around me, but not all the time. <laughs> well, I was in graduate school for poetry, and I can tell you so many times people would get criticism, and they would run from the room screaming and crying, going, you don't know what I'm oh. trying to do. Oh, God. Yeah. And it's they never, so hard. I know, and their skin never got thick. You don't. You just don't understand <laughs> me. <laughs> it's like yeah maybe maybe not i'm sorry <laughs> yeah I, I guess i don't you're you're very emotional yeah um but <laughs> right. i mean when, with these people that you were writing with i mean were they people you chose or were they sort of how did that how did that happen um it was it was kind of like a little bit of happenstance and a little bit of um, trusting the producer i was working with ah. so um yeah so carter the first session that I ever had with him was just a writing session with another writer that I had worked with before. So that was sort of happenstance. 
And then I loved working with him so much. And then he had all these writers of mine that he thought would be perfect for the genre. And so he brought in a lot of his friends. So, um, yeah, it was, it was kind of like that. It was like New York connections and, and I trusted Carter implicitly. Um, he was really great in that. Arlie, I love this record. I love this conversation. Make sure you get better. Don't leave everything in Kansas City. And <laughs> you either. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> but thank you so thank much you for so your much. time. It's so good to talk to you. Yeah, you too. I appreciate it so much. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. There you go. Sister Sparrow. Loved chatting with her. Gold is out now. Go to sistersparrow.com and get it. If you want to get Stereo Embers, the podcast, we're on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Check out past episodes. Leave us a review. Throw us some stars. You know how it works. It's Yelp Nation, kids, and we're all a part of it. Uh, If you want to see what's up with me, go to alexgreenonline.com. Maybe I'm coming to your town to read from my novel, The Heart Goes Boom, or maybe I'm going to interview an author at your local bookstore, or maybe we're doing a live taping of Stereo Embers, the podcast. Any of these things could be happening. Uh, Now, if you want to email me, please do it, editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Maybe there's a guest you'd like me to track down for the program. Well, suggestions are best sent to that address. On Twitter, at EmbersEditor, and on Instagram, EmbersPodcast. Are you writing all this down? I know, it's a lot of information. Uh, Here's some more information. Sister Sparrow's new single is called Ghost, and it is out now. There's a great clip for it on YouTube, but here's the audio version for you right here. All right? I'll see you next week. Enjoy the song. And thank you, as always, for supporting Bombshell Radio and Stereo Embers, the podcast. Live me for did I guess? Kept your secrets and 